celebrity Let your weary mind be free And someone kind of famous who you can't see It's time for sleeping with celebrity Hello sleepyheads and welcome to Sleeping with Celebrities I'm John Moe, I'm glad you're here On this audio program, we invite our guests to step out of the limelight and step into the nightlight. On this show, for one bedtime, I don't want them to bring their A-game, but rather their Z-game. It's a podcast where you can sleep, you can simply relax, you can take a break from stress and intensity. Just ahead, we'll be sleeping with Andrew Child, And he's going to talk with me about life where he lives. But before all that, I invite you to settle in and get comfortable while I tell you about another show on the Maximum Fun Network. Sleepyheads, I wish to tell you about another podcast here on the Maximum Fun Network. It's called Beef and Dairy Podcast, a British comedy podcast made by Welsh comedian Benjamin Partridge. It's presented as an industry podcast for the beef and dairy industry, but really, it's a window into a surreal world of strange characters, storylines, music, and more. Past episodes have featured guests such as Andy Daly, Jason Mansukas, Heather Ann Campbell, Nick Offerman, Josie Long, and London Hughes. It has won the British Podcast Award for Best Comedy twice. Here's a quote from The Guardian, the newspaper. A gorgeously absurd comedy podcast by Benjamin Partridge. Played completely straight, it offers total immersion in one man's comedy world. That's Beef and Dairy Network Podcast. On Maximum Fun or wherever you get your podcasts. And now for our guest, Andrew Child. Andrew is a writer, and when I tell you that you'll be able to read the latest book in the series he's worked on with his brother, you might get very excited. I say this because it's one of the most popular book series in all of publishing. I am speaking of the Reacher series, and about protagonist Jack Reacher. And this October, book number 28 comes out, and it's called The Secret. What's no longer a secret is that Andrew is now a guest on Sleeping with Celebrities. Andrew Child, welcome to the show. Well, thank you. Thank you very much for having me as a guest. It's an absolute pleasure. Um, you know, I'm a bit of a night owl myself, so it's, uh, it's, it's delightful to be uh, in the company of so many people at my favorite time of day. Mm, yes, and conspiring to get them even more sleepy. Uh, a question or two about sleep before we begin. Do you fall asleep easily yourself? Well, I think it depends on what's happening 
uh, in my life because there are times when I find it very hard to get off to sleep. You know, if I've got something bothering me, something that I'm thinking about, um, it can be very difficult to sleep. Um, other times, especially when we're getting toward the end of, a, of the next reacher, uh, it just seems impossible to find the time to sleep. So there are times when I'm, I would say, yeah, seriously, seriously sleep deprived. But uh, there are other times when things are going well and uh, I'm not up against a deadline where I love nothing more than just settling down, resting my head on the pillow and, and waiting to, to drift away. What's the best night of sleep you've ever had? Well, that's a very good question. Um, um, uh, let, let's be optimistic and say, let's hope it's the night to sleep tonight. But um, I, th I think for me, typically, it would be at the end of a major project. You know, if, if you've been pushing yourself, um, you've been using every last ounce of energy, every last moment that you can you can wring out of the day to uh, to get to where you need to be. And at the end of that, there come, where you, you get to the point where you think you're just never gonna be able to relax, you're never gonna be able to sleep again. And then when you get to the end, you realize there's this beautiful moment where the realization hits you that actually you don't have to work all night tonight, you can just go to bed and just when sleep when sleep reaches you you can just uh, give in and, and drift away so I think you know for example when we finished writing The Secret not too long ago um, yeah that first night of sleep after the manuscript was complete and had been sent off to our editors and we could just uh, you know look forward to the next step in the process but have some time where we could finally relax and do what we wanted to do and let's talk about a little bit about where you're doing this relaxing because you're not in New York or London or Los Angeles. You're in, in somewhere a bit more sparsely populated. Tell me where you are. We are. We are in a place called Thai Siding, Wyoming. Um, it's a strange name for a town, but it comes from the days when the, Uni the uh, Transcontinental Railroad was being built. A Union Pacific who built the section near us, they had a siding line where the tie cutters would uh, would work. You know, in England, we called them the things that joined the rails um, on the railway. We would call them sleepers, but here they're called ties. And so the, the tie cutters, they found the trees around here were particularly suitable for turning into rail ties. So they, uh, they, they lived and worked here. And uh, this is where all of the, the ties were assembled and, and gathered together, ready for transport and you know, ready to be laid down right across the whole width of the of the continent so it's uh, it was significant for for a few years while that was happening but now it's returned to a basically unpopulated little little backwater and why are you there well, we're here because it's really a very strange thing. I would never, if, if you could go back in time, if you could go back and talk to me 15, 20 years ago and suggest that this was possible, I'd have thought you were crazy because I was always an absolutely devoted city person. I was born in the city. I always lived in the city. Um, I only ever wanted to live in the city. And um, when I moved to the United States, um, I first of all lived in Chicago. Um, so obviously very big city and we lived right in the middle. Um, you know, any way you wanted to go, you could just leave the building and just walk to it, you know, very, very easily. It was absolutely tremendous. And we loved living in Chicago. We loved all those city benefits, the museums, the galleries, concerts that you could go to. The Art Institute. 
Absolutely. One of our favorite places. Again, we could walk to it, which was lovely. But then we just got to a point in our lives where we, our kids had grown up, they'd, they'd left home, they were off at college. Um, we were work, both working from home because my wife, Tasha, she's also a novelist. So we were constantly uh, in the in the apartment trying to work with really very, very little space on the inside. And endless distractions and, and noises and interruptions on the outside. Uh, I used to joke that uh, the little room I used to write in must have some kind of hidden CCTV camera because the moment I would go and sit down at my desk, there would be some incredible racket. The neighbor would be rehabbing their apartment or the fire escape was being refurbished or the police and the ambulances would be zooming past outside with their sirens. So it was as if, you know, it, it was as if the whole place was conspiring against giving any peace and quiet. So we were needing to find a bigger place. And the thing is, it's very hard to do that in Chicago because um, the city has a lot of wonderful things, but affordable is not really one of them. So um, finding somewhere with more room was really hard. And we'd found, I think, three different places over, over the last year or so. Um, we were really interested in them. We were ready to even make offers on a couple of them, but circumstances conspired. Each one of them fell through, slipped through our fingers. And we were getting to the point where we wondered, were we ever going to be able to find anywhere else? And what happened was we came on a road trip, um, not something you really do in the UK, because this particular road trip, we drove 4,000 miles. And if you tried doing that in the UK, you'd fall off the side. You know, it's impossible to drive that far, really. So uh, one of the things was that Tasha wanted to take me and show me lots of different places where she's lived, because she's lived all over the United States for various reasons. So we came at one point to Laramie, Wyoming, where she'd lived after she'd left college. And uh, it was a place she'd never really wanted to leave, but the circumstances had forced her to. So we, um, the moment we arrived, I just felt something I'd never really felt before in my life. It was just a feeling of space and of calm and of peacefulness. And, um, I, I just, it blew me away because to put it in context, you, the state of Wyoming is actually a little bit larger than the United Kingdom in terms of um, square miles, but it has the same population as the town where I went to university. So it's just incredibly unpopulated. You, where we are now, if you want to see moose or elk or deer, you just look out of the window. If you want to find people, you actually have to get in the car and drive, you know, 10, 20, 30 miles to find anybody. So that sense of space and isolation, it just was something I'd never experienced before. And I said to Tasha, well, you know, we have to move house anyway. Why don't we move here? Hmm. And how long ago was that? That was 2016 when we when we first decided to do it. And it took us about a year altogether to complete the move because of just logistics. We had to sell a place, find a place. We you know Natasha's son was winding up high school, things like that. So we had to we had to take care of all of those things. But uh, just the moment we could, we uh, we we 
we left Chicago with absolutely no hard feelings. We loved it, absolutely loved our time there, but it was just time for a new chapter. So um, we went from the middle of the city to literally the middle of nowhere. If you put our zip code into the Census Bureau website, it comes back with uninhabited because there are so few people per square mile. Do you know what the population of of Thai Siding Wyoming is? Well, you know, it's it, it's been hard to find out because um, a lot of people come here um, just for, say, the summer. They'll have a cabin that they that they move up to um, just just while the weather is good because weather is an issue here. It is it is really brutal, and I think where we are in the in the you know, the, the several square miles, hundreds of acres uh, around us, there's probably only one other family who lives here full time. So, you know, it really, it, it really is isolated. And um, we have, a, you know, a lot of people will come and visit, especially our old friends from Chicago who are kind of intrigued about what on earth would have made a person leave a world-class city like Chicago and move somewhere where there isn't even a grocery store for 30 or 40 miles. And so when they come out, you know, I think, I don't think anyone has ever come out and not liked it, but a lot of people have sort of looked at it as if it's a kind of specimen in a museum and said, yeah, it's beautiful, but I could just never live here. You know, they need more of that, that contact, but you were asking earlier about how it affects work. And for, for two writers, it is wonderful because you, you need to get yourself into a kind of mental state where you're completely focused on this made up world that you're trying to um, imagine and then put down on the page. And any distraction can, can just knock you out of that, that mental zone and, and set you back an hour, two hours, you know, whereas here there really isn't anything to do that. You can have all the time, you have this sense anyway, that you have all the time that you need. Nothing is going to distract you. Nothing is going to knock you off track. And so for two writers, it is an absolutely wonderful place to live. Um, is the reason that you live in this remote place and the reason that your wife has lived all over the United States is that she is secretly a spy for the MI6 <laughs> and we're giving that information away now? Well, you know, that's, that's a very intriguing question because, you know, I've asked her similar things and she's always denied it. But then, of course, she would deny it, wouldn't she? So, of course. Yeah, yeah. That's something we might have to do some further research on. Right. That's, uh, yeah, that's, that, I mean, she would be in somewhere like Thai Siding and then get somebody approaching her and saying, we've got one last job for you to do. And she says, no, I'm out. That's why I'm out in Thai Siding, Wyoming. That's right, in the hope that no one could ever find her, you know. There's a there's a line in um do you remember the Pirates of the Caribbean movie? Yeah, sure. The first the first one. They they needed to go to a, a remote island to retrieve their their, uh, their ill-gotten treasure. And the problem was finding this island because somebody said, This island, you can only find it if you already know where it is. Mm. And it's kind of like that with our house. You know, you, you can give people the most detailed directions um, and they still get lost. I think partly that's because they secretly try to follow GPS instead of you going with the old school paper directions and GPS always leads them astray. But yeah, I really do get that sense that unless you already know where this place is, you'll never find it. You alluded to being able to see various animals outside your window. Can you give us a rundown on the 
on the critters available for viewing in Thai sighting? Absolutely. I mean, it is one of the most wonderful things about living here, honestly, is that the wildlife is is just stupendous. My my very favorite. I've, I, I would I would have to say I've kind of got two joint favorites, and they're at the absolute opposite ends of the of the extreme of the of the scale. One of them are the moose. You know, we have moose who live here, and they just they just wander around completely, um, unaf- you know, unbothered by everybody, unfazed. You can be out walking um, and you'll see, you know, sometimes you'll catch some movement from the corner of your eye and you go to see what it is. And it's, an, it's a moose. It'll be, if it's a male moose, it'll be maybe up to its shoulders is like eight feet. And it has a huge uh, set of antlers, uh, paddles, they call them with, with the moose. And um, it'll just look at you. It'll kind of tip its head to the side a little bit and say, oh, hello, what are you doing here? Um, And they're just not frightened and they're not aggressive. I know some people worry and they find that, you know, say a moose had strayed down into a a town, it can get very frightened and then it, it can get very aggressive. But here, where we really feel that we're living in their space rather than them living in ours, they just stroll around and they look at you and they just are very calm and, and very just genteel. And, and uh, um, you, can, you can just sense how, uh, how, how, how peaceful they are. And there's a real, for me, very interesting contrast with the elk because we, we also get a lot of elk. Uh, they, they kind of come and go because, you know, they, they migrate around from one place to another depending on the season. And the elk, you know, some of the, the bull elk can be almost as tall. They can be pretty much the same size. And they can also have these incredible antlers, uh, with, you know, long and twisted and spiky, you know. But they are constantly frightened. They are running around from side to side. If you see one anytime, it will run to one way, then it will run back the other way. And so they just seem the opposite. They seem very anxious and very high strung all the time. So they, um, they're all, but they're fantastic to watch. And rather than living in a kind of solitary way, like the moose do, the elk, you'll see them in huge herds. There'll be herds of three, four, sometimes 500 of them, particularly uh, either during what they call the rut, you know, when the big herds all get together, you know, and do what's needed to make sure they're a baby baby elk the next year. Sure. And um, also they will, um, our, where we live, we live in a nature preserve, so there's no hunting. And there's something incredible about animals, they know when the hunting season begins, because we're right on the border with Colorado, right where the Roosevelt Forest is, where they can be hunted. And the moment the hunting season begins, hundreds of them, if not thousands of them, come over the border to where we are, where they, where they know that they can't be hunted. So that is pretty extraordinary. Um, I don't know if you've ever heard a recording of an elk making this sound that they call bugling. Yes. Describe it, please. It is just the mo. It, it, you would if if you'd not come across this before, and someone played you a recording, they would think that you were you were, you were they were playing a prank on you. Because if you imagine an, um, a bull elk, this enormous, grand animal, and you know this guy is trying to impress the lady elk. And so he's going to make a sound that he thinks is, you know, the most alluring. And you'd expect an animal of that kind of size, you know, to be some deep, booming, you know, powerful sound. But it isn't. It's this weird, high-pitched, um, almost squealing sound that they make. And you would never 
associate if you if you were having to if it was a game and you had to match up a picture with a sound recording you would never patch the, join these two together because it just seems so out of character so if you've not heard elk bugling definitely uh, definitely google it or go on youtube and look for a recording of it because it is extraordinary so you've got the moose you've got the elk do you have smaller animals too we do the smallest animal actually this is my joint favorite i also really love the chipmunks you know they are tiny and they are so mischievous and so curious um i actually built a little playground for the for the baby chipmunks um in front of our front porch so when the weather's nice we'll sit out in the morning and have a cup of tea and eat some breakfast and the little chipmunks come out and they scamper up and down on these on these uh branches and logs and stones that we have and actually this morning I was doing it I was sitting there eating my breakfast and a little chipmunk jumped up onto the porch ran over um, and started trying to eat my shoe <laughs> so you know again they're absolutely they're not frightened of, of people they, 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 they haven't I guess never been been you know harmed or threatened or frightened by people so they they don't mind us being around at all but th those are the tiniest ones then we also have some called ground squirrels which look like chipmunks only about two or three times the size so they scamper around um, do similar things you know they're always chasing each other up to all kinds of antics then i guess the next up in size would be the rabbits <clears throat> we have some fantastic uh, mountain cottontails up here we also have some jackrabbits but they tend to live a little lower down on, on the plains where they can run really really fast but we love seeing the um the rabbits they're so playful and uh, there's one in particular he comes out he, he has a burrow it must be pretty much under our front porch because uh, there's a big rock near near the near the entrance and he will come out and he he always he likes to start and end his day sitting on this rock just looking around and so it's very nice when you when you see him out there being so far away from from human contact and and many, many miles away from the nearest grocery store even. Do you find that you enjoy seeing people when you can see them, or does any contact with humans confirm an already held belief that people are terrible? Well, you know, it's, it's very, that's a great question. And it certainly has changed um, how, how, we, how we sort of feel when we, when we do bump into people, because one thing that we've noticed, it seems, you know, people out here just seem genuinely much friendlier and much kind of politer than, than what we used to encounter in the various different cities we've lived in. And we think that, you know, that's possibly because, you know, you're not always bumping into each other. You're not trying to walk down the sidewalk and be constantly getting slammed into by people. Or, you know, you're not trying to park your car and have the last parking space pinched by somebody who's, you know, screeches in, at, you know, ahead of you. And so, um, I think as it's that much rarer to come across somebody, people, you know, relish it more. They, 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 they take the time to stop and to chat. We had a friend who came out to visit from New York and we went to the town and we went from all the different, went from one store to another. And the thing is that you go into a store in a little town like that and either the people who own the store know you or they don't. And if they do know you, they want to stop and chat. 
And if they don't know you, they want to stop and chat because they want to get to know you. And so mm. at the end of the end of this morning, she turned to us and said, you know, the only thing that you can't do here is shop quickly. You know, she, she was used to that kind of city thing, you know, where you race in, you grab the thing you want, you slam down the cash and then you, you zoom out. Whereas everything, if you are in contact with people, it's, it's, um, it tends to take longer and be a lot more of a kind of friendly um, polite experience, you know. It, uh, out here, I'm, I'm not joking. You know, people actually enjoy going to the uh, to the uh, uh, motor vehicle place to, you know, get a, their license renewed or re- do the registration on their car because the people there are just friendly and kind, and you know, completely unlike um, how it used to be uh, in other places. I lived for a short amount of time in Montana, and I found that you might not know everybody in Montana but you know somebody who knows anybody in Montana. You find out, oh, you're from Shoto. Do you know Bruce? Oh, yeah, I know Bruce. And it's never far away to make a connection. Do you find that to be the case in Wyoming, that you're always at least somewhat close to the person that you meet? Very much so, yeah. It's a very similar experience. And, you know, there are a few major um, towns in in Wyoming. And if you know one person from there, then the likelihood is they're going to know someone who knows someone. So, yeah, it's it's always very much like that. Although I even got that with with England once. Um, um, Shortly after I'd met Tasha, we uh, went out for dinner with a really good friend of hers that um, that uh, lived in the same building years years previously. And this this um, woman heard that I had an English accent and said, "Oh, you're from England." And then, I mean, she knew she was joking because she knew the odds were, you know, like thirty million to one against. So she said, mm. "Oh, you must you maybe you know Annabelle." And it turned out not only did I know Annabelle, we'd sat next to each other at grade school for several years. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, I love those little those little coincidences that you get, but um, kind of at the same time they they frustrate me a little bit because um, of how they relate to our work. Because if you were writing a thriller, and it was essential that you uh, you had a, a character who just happened to know one person out of thirty million in another country, you could never have it that you just sat down with someone for dinner and they happened to to have gone to school with that person. You know, it's too the odds are too long, and so uh, it is it is a sort of strange coincidence. But I find it quite gratifying when you when you do that because it kind of makes you feel connected. You know, even though physically we're not, we're very we're very isolated. It is nice to have that sense that in a way. Uh, at least we are still all part of the same, you know, the same group. Now, I don't, I haven't read every installment of the Reacher series, but I do know that there is action and punching and uh, fast moving vehicles. There's a lot going on. Do you find it easier or more difficult to access that kind of intensity when you're living in a very unintense place? Well, I find it actually easier because you know what you have to do is is summon up. You have to you have to be able to um, picture all of that that intensity in your head. You know, and you have to. Somebody years ago, I forget who, said that uh, when you're writing, it's a little bit like um, you're a journalist who's reporting on a scene that you can only see in your own head. And so it actually takes quite a, a, a lot of of concentration and quite a lot of mental energy to consistently summon up 
this this um, inter, uh, internal world that you're trying to describe. And that's where the lack of interruption and the lack of distraction comes into play. Because even if the thing that you're imagining, yeah, it might be, you know, a brawl involving lots of people in a bar where there's loud music and, you know, or it could be outside on a city street, something like that. Um, it's still easier to conjure that image and then to record it on paper um, if you're somewhere that's very serene and very, very calm. So, yeah, I find it easier for that sort of thing. And, uh, you know, another aspect of the Reacher books, along with, as you rightly say, you know, the, you know, prodigious amounts of, of fighting and, you know, ass kicking that goes on. Um, Reach is always thinking, he's always solving puzzles. You know, one of the things that Reach's uh, readers consistently say is that they love to think along with Reacher. You know, they love to be confronted with what seems like a, an unsolvable puzzle at the outset and then watch as Reacher chips away you know, or like if it was an onion, you know, peels away a layer at a time and another layer and another layer until finally he's left with um, with the solution. They love that process. And to make that work, to make it sufficiently complicated that the puzzle is interesting, but also to make the process, the step-by-step -step process of solving it seem re realistic and, and easy to follow, that's, you know, that's 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 difficult. And so, again, having, having a very... Um, serene environment to work in is, is very important. Do you think Jack Reacher will ever stay in a place long enough to build a chipmunk playground? Sleepyheads, I wish to tell you about another podcast here on the Maximum Fun Network, and it is called Fanti. Hosts and journalists Jarrett Hill and Travell Anderson have complex and complicated conversations about the gray areas in pop culture, politics, and in our lives. The show offers insights into the hosts' lives and has a huge dose of humor as well. Jared and Travell also feature weekly honorable and dishonorable mentions. These are stories or people that caught their attention each week that deserve a call-out either for their good or their stupid. That's Fanti on Maximum Fun or wherever you get your podcasts. Do you think Jack Reacher will ever stay in a place long enough to build a chipmunk playground? <laughs> well, you know, I think if he did build one, it would be a fantastic chipmunk playground. But um, a really important thing about Reacher, um, you know, people... People look at his different characteristics, his size, his strength, his skills at fighting and shooting guns and his ability to figure out puzzles, And as we were just talking about. But really, in order to make the stories work, the critical aspect is that he always leaves. Um, you know, he's, he's, if you like, a, 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 well, where are we now? 21st century um, version of the archetypal knight errant character, you know, the character who, who wanders the land, who he arrives <clears throat> in your town 
When there's a problem, he solves that problem and critically he leaves because the dynamic wouldn't work if he solved the problem for you, but then he moved in next door because what are you going to do? How are you going to have a normal neighborly relationship with this person? Because they're the right. one that set your world back to rights when it was falling apart. You know, would you feel obliged to mow his lawn every day? You know, would you feel like you always had to bring him coffee? You know, all of these obligations would creep in and it would, it would make the dynamic impossible. So the, the arriving is critical. The sorting out the problem is critical, but the leaving at the end is the most critical of all. So I'm worried, I'm, I'm afraid to say that might mean that Reacher has to forsake the, uh, the chipmunk playground for the foreseeable chipmunk future. Playground. Yeah. 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 When, when you live somewhere like Thai sighting, um, well, first of all, are there, are there mountains nearby? Is there topography or is it mostly flat? Yeah, there certainly is. We are just at the point where it starts to shift from the flat plains um, that, that lead, you know, that, that go for hundreds of miles to the, um, the snowy mountains. So we, um, even just in the space of two or three miles, you go from flat to starting to get quite, quite um, craggy and quite, uh, quite steep. So we're, we're certainly not, uh, you know, at the top of a mountain or anything like that, but we are, we have some pretty steep inclines that you, that you have to, to traverse to get to where we are. Um, and all around us, you can see, you can see the, the snow cover, the, the peaks that are constantly covered in snow. So it's a really, again, it's just a beautiful thing. If you're not looking at the animals, you know, you can be looking at this, this um, unbroken vista, you know, we've got trees, you've got, if, if you're at the front of the ranch, you can see these wide open plains. And then from our end, you can see more of the, the craggy mountaintops, which, uh, you know, it's very, um, it's, it's not any, by any means a kind of lush environment, you know, it's quite, it's, it's rocky and it's, it's quite harsh, but it's, it's magnificent and beautiful in its own way. We're speaking to you in the summer right now, and, and I imagine it's, it's very warm where you are. What's it like and what's life like in December and January when the snow comes? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question because the seasons here are so pronounced and so different. Um, the growing season, for example, is really short. Hardly anything grows here. Um, it, it, well, with the exception, one thing I should just maybe correct myself there, you, you certainly can't grow crops or anything like that. There are no, you know, no fields of wheat or barley or anything like that. But the wildflowers are extraordinary. Um, and what you notice with them, because the growing season is so short, they change so quickly. You can go for a walk one day and the flowers that you see are completely different to, from the ones that were there the day before or the day before that. And they are beautiful. So um, particularly this year, we've had a, we had a, even harsher winter than normal. And then we had quite a lot of rain. So the flowers and, and anything that can grow is just at its most abundant this year. So we're, we're seeing a lot of flowers. But the, um, the summer is, I think, it's perfect for me because, you know, I grew up on a cold, rainy island and I, I'm not well adapted to extreme temperature or, or, or a lot of sun, you know, I'll, I'll burn and I get too hot and I don't like it. So here, most of the time in the summer, you're looking at temperatures in the sort of high somewhere from the high 60s to the low 80s, that kind of bracket. And so not unbearably hot and also quite easily manageable because you might be in the direct sun and you're too hot. If you just move a few feet to some shade, 
immediately it's more comfortable so it's easier to sort of regulate the temperature than it than it was in chicago you know there would be day after day after day where it would be over 100 degrees and you know you'd be desperate for air conditioning people here don't even have air conditioning it's not needed um but then that summer period is is pretty short you really want to relish it while, while you can because we have we have um, snow on the ground for, for a, a large part of the year. And um, because of the wind, you know, people would say to us, well, how much snow do you get if there's been a big blizzard, for example? Let's say, how much snow fell? It's really hard to answer because the wind will move it around. And so you could have patches where there's literally none. You know, you can see the ground. But then a few feet away, there'll be a six or eight foot drift because the wind has, has blown it all into one particular place. And of course, typically it blows it onto the roads so that if you want to drive somewhere, it's, um, it can be really difficult. Um, there can be times where if you know that you needed to catch a flight somewhere for some critical thing, you might have to go down to the airport, you know, the day before or two days before just to be certain that you're going to be able to make that flight. If someone's listening to this and thinking, maybe I want to live in Thai siding. Maybe I want to be the third family that lives there besides, besides Andrew's family and the other family. Would you want them to, or do you think they should stay away? Well, I think that the nature of the place, you know, it's not an easy place to live in, you know, because you have to be able to put up with months of snow. You have to be prepared to drive all of those miles to get to the grocery store if you need food. You have to be pretty self-contained, pretty resilient. Um, and so it's almost a kind of self-selecting population. So um, in, what, what that really means is that People are kind of similar. They, you know, they have a similar outlook. So yeah, we would absolutely welcome it. It would be, it would be great to have more people here. It's just that it's not the kind of thing where um, you might be in an apartment building and you'd be bumping into one another every morning on the way to work and every evening on the way home, and then going for a drink in the evening and then watching the game on its, uh, the weekend. You know, it's not like that. But it, it's certainly good to know that there are people around because people here are generally very supportive. You know, they're very helpful to one another if somebody nobody has a problem on their own if somebody is dealing with something other people will will show up and help them and um, you know if, if, if I mean around here all the roads are dirt roads but if there's one where there's a problem that some's got washed away by by rain or something like that people don't wait around for for the council to come and fix it you know they go and they deal with it themselves and so one thing I really noticed from moving out here was that in Chicago if somebody had a cool new thing you'd often hear somebody say oh I love that where did you get it Whereas here, most people have big workshops, you know, full of machines and tools. And they will say to somebody, oh, that's great. How did you make it? You know, mm. and so, you know, you need something, you need a new attach, you know, you need a trailer for your car or something like that. You know, they will make it. They're not always saying, well, you know, where, which, which store do I go to to buy it? So, you know, I, I really admire that kind of, you know, resilient, self-sufficient uh, way of living. How often do you go to the grocery store and, and do you do a, a month worth of shopping and put it in multiple refrigerators and freezers? Yeah, you kind of have to do that, particularly in the winter months, because you might not be able to get out. Um, so we've got three 
three big freezers that we keep full of food, um, which is fine for, you know, obviously you, you might struggle with milk or butter or, you know, things that, that, that are going to go off. But we have enough uh, food that you can preserve that we could we could live from for weeks, if not months, w- without needing to go to the store. But we will typically go probably, I'm going to say, once a fortnight. It partly depends on where we are in terms of our deadlines. You know, the closer you get to the deadline, the less time you have for, for nipping out to the store. But um, we, uh, yeah, we'll probably go once a fortnight. But what you do, you find that you're becoming so much more organized. You know, in Chicago, you could say, you, 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 it could be two o'clock in the morning and on a whim, you'd want to, you know, you'd decide you wanted to make something and you needed some fancy ingredient that you didn't have. You could just go out and buy it any time where you never had to think ahead. And I've actually quite enjoyed the change where you have to be much more disciplined. You have to make sure that you keep a good list of everything that you need from the store next time you're in town. And then what you tend to do is you'll gather up tasks. You know, you wouldn't just go to town and go to the grocery store. You'll go to the post office, you'll go to UPS, you'll go to the hardware store if you need some some equipment or some tools or something like that. So, you know, there's all kinds of stuff going on that, that you try to combine rather than just nip out you know, because it's so convenient. And I've actually enjoyed the way that it's made us more thoughtful um, about how we use our time. And um, we've noticed that in other ways too. You know, one thing we hoped moving out here and has absolutely borne fruit is that we 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 sort of stream far less um, on the, you know, on the TV and, and watch far, you know, we're not watching movies or TV shows all the time. We're really being a lot more, living in a place like this, just leads you to be a lot more thoughtful about, well, I've only got a certain amount of time. Do I really want to spend it sat in front of the TV when you look the other way and you look out of the window and you see this this magnificent uh, view of nature? You really want to be outside, you know, doing something much more healthy and much more enjoyable. Do you think that you'll stay in this place forever or will you return to Chicago or some other big city at some point? I mean, that's a great question. I mean, if, if, I mean, only time will tell, but right now we we have absolutely no intention of, of leaving. We've both lived in lots of different places and we feel like our days of packing up and moving on are, are behind us. We feel like we've found our place and this is, this is where we want to be. And so, um, you know, assuming that as we get older, we can still, you know, manage the, the weather and, uh, you know, the, the driving and everything like that. We've, 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 Planning on we're planning on this being it, this being our, our place. When you listen to the song Home on the Range, do you nod more meaningfully now? Well we do because you know, we were talking about animals earlier and you actually do see deer and antelope playing. You know, it's it's crazy, you know. The deer are um the deer are odd ones though, because if you look at all the different animals, the deer probably look the cutest. You know, you see them and you just, you know, you you just they look like big, you know, big, fluffy, cuddly pets, but they are not. They are mean to each other. They stomp on each other and kick each other. And it's, it's the, their characters are completely out of keeping with their, um, with their appearance. But then we call them antelope. Um, they're technically called pronghorn. And, um, you know, people can be very cross with you if, you, if, you, if you're not precise enough. So technically mm-hmm. they're pronghorn. And they are, they like the open spaces because their thing is speed. You know, they are 
the fastest land animals in the United States. And um, they just can run and run and run. And uh, even to the point that sometimes that you can see they just love running. If you're driving and you see one in the middle of the road, so you stop, it will want to race you, you know, or hair away and you'll You'll drive after it, you know, trying to keep a decent distance away from it. Um, but it'll stop and it'll turn and look at you and you can see it. It just it just wants to race. So um, those are pretty hilarious to uh, to watch. Andrew Child, enjoy Thai sighting and thank you for sleeping with us. And good night. Good night and thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for having me as a guest on the show. Well, sleepyheads. I hope you enjoyed learning about Thai siding Wyoming just as much as I did. You know, something I like to do at the end of my day is make a mental catalog of things that I experienced and or learned. So if you don't mind, I'm just going to go ahead and make a list of takeaways from my conversation with Andrew Child right now while it's fresh in my mind. One, in England... Rail ties are called sleepers. Two, if you type in Andrew Child's zip code, it will come back as uninhabitable, but he does inhabit it. Three, elks make a high-pitched squealing sound called bugling when they want to attract lady elks. Four, Certain best-selling authors, when they have extra time, will build chipmunk playgrounds. 5. The only thing you can't do in Thai siding is shop quickly, on account of how chatty the locals are when you run into them in person. And 6. The deer and the antelope do indeed play Okay, I'm going to turn in myself. Thank you for sleeping with me and my guest, Andrew Child. You can follow Sleeping With Celebrities on both Twitter and TikTok using the handle at sleepwithcelebs. On Instagram, the handle is at sleepwcelebs. Our email is sleepwithcelebs at maximumfun.org. Our music is provided by the Winterbowers. Our production intern is Clara Flesher, who with this show marks the end of her internship. We wish to thank Clara for all the help and support. This show was senior produced and edited by Laura Swisher. Swish. And it is a production of Maximum Fun and Papa Chick. I'm John Moe. Night, night. Maximum Fun, a worker-owned network of artist-owned shows, supported directly by you.